The information expressed in the following podcast is intended for educational purposes only and was created by and belongs solely to Believe Limited and the Flow podcast and does not necessarily reflect the views of our sponsors. Please speak to your healthcare provider before making any medical decisions. Hi, I'm Jessica and welcome to Flow. I'm here with Sarah Watson, sex therapist, and we are honoring Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month with a deep dive into VWD with Jess Foley, MD. But first, we all want to know, how's your flow? We start off flow with a quick check-in to normalize the reality of menstruation. So, to our assembled lovelies, how's your flow? Dr. Foley, go ahead. Great. I've just been so (laughs) excited about this question. I've listened to this podcast and... I will say that um, my flow, I don't flow anymore. I, I think that like many things when it comes to the female body, menstruation is a choice. And I chose to alleviate mine about 15 years ago. So I have a big IUD fan, specifically the five-year IUD. And um, that that's my flow. Yeah, specifically that IUD, because I know we're going to talk more about <laughs> other kinds of IUDs. And speaking of IUDs, Sarah, how's your... You know I'm not flowing as well, which is lovely, but I'm probably going to ovulate soon, feeling that coming that I do feel consistently every month. So, but just relaxing over here, no cramps, which is shocking, which is great. I know. Are they, do the cramps come pre-ovulation or right at ovulation for you? Uh, Both. 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 You know, I found that so interesting when I listened to the previous podcast and heard you talk about that. Like, I have no, I have no idea. When, oh. when it's coming, what part of the month I'm in? Nothing, nothing. I, I go about I can, my life with have no sense of that. I can tell which side it's coming from. Really? That's just yeah. so. I mean, isn't the female body just fascinating? I know I'm a hematologist, but I just find it fascinating. <laughs> it is Jay Rich? Um, where are you? you? Know, Wait, where are you? We need oh. to know where your flow is. No. Well, see, I will probably start menstruating during this recording. Oh, yes, this happens sometimes for us. It really does. It's in flow. I come to flow to flow that way. (laughs) But, you know, even with IUDs, even if you're not having a menstrual period, you still have a hormonal flow. Yes, no? Yes, Mm -hmm. definitely. Definitely. In fact, the IUD is the easiest method to get pregnant upon discontinuing it. Because it does not disturb your normal hormonal flow. And it's one of the reasons I love it for my patients is it doesn't have increased blood clot risk. It doesn't affect mood. Um, Some people might still say it does. Everyone's different. Everyone's Mm -hmm. body might be a bit more sensitive. But I know many people, myself included, who got pregnant very fast upon removal of the IUD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Everyone is different. That is a good theme for our... Yes. Flowing. We are going to flow on on today on flow. We're going to talk bleeding disorders in camp and horror stories about IUDs. But first, we're going to take a quick break. This ad is brought to you by Von Vendi, Von Willebrand Factor Recombinant. My name is Nicole, and my deciding factor is making my voice heard. To hear the backstory, drop by Von Vendi. That's V O N V E N D I dot com slash patient dash stories. And we are back with Jessica Foley, MD, Pediatric Hematology and Oncology. Jess, Sarah, 
You two go way back. Yeah. And we're going to we talk do. about VWD, D, but I love to know <laughs> how you two know each other. It's one of my favorite stories. Do you want I would love to hear you tell it, Jess. <laughs> well, I I was a pediatric resident, so I was finished with med school and in my training to be a pediatrician, and I had always loved the area of hemophilia. Um, my father was a camp director in hemophilia back in the days. And they had this opportunity to go spend a month at a hemophilia summer camp in place of a normal elective. And I was like, of course, sign me up. I'm a huge camp person. Um, mm-hmm. And so I went to this hemophilia summer camp and Sarah was working there and just been besties ever since. Yes. And we just got along so well. Yeah. Camp. I'm telling you, we've talked about this on the podcast so many times, but camp is just such a connection and connector for so many of us, which is amazing. And especially in my life. So super grateful to have been palling around at Camp Old Eagle. Camp Old Eagle. Ooh. Camp Old Eagle. It's a great place. And camp is great, particularly mm-hmm. for those who find a reason to come together who don't always find that common ground with those they're around. For example, those who receive a VWD diagnosis. Right. Camp might be a place, Bleeding Disorders Camp in particular, where there is that unity and like what you're experiencing, I'm experiencing. And some of our listeners may be experiencing and whether they know they have it or not, we're in this episode going to deep dive into what VWD is. So Jess, yes. putting you on the spot right away. No, Dr. Yeah. Jess. <laughs> Oh. You just casually tell us what this very complex uh, no, disease right. is. Thank you. Yeah. So um, VWD stands for von Willebrand's disease. And sometimes I take a little issue with the word disease. Um, what it is, is it's really that people run decreased levels of a protein called von Willebrand's. There's many different types of von Willebrand's disease. Um, and sometimes you might have the protein, it just doesn't work as well. And what von Willebrand's does is it's really important in all of our clotting that happens in our body, sometimes called all the coagulation factors. T is kind of a fancy word. Um, It works very closely with something called your platelet, which is a cell your body makes, um, as well as factor eight. Um, And Mm -hmm. when someone has bleeding, all of that comes together to really help form a blood clot and stop that bleeding. So when someone is low in von Willebrand's or their von Willebrand's doesn't work as well, they definitely can have, can bleed more easily or have an easy bleeding tendency. And a lot of the times, von Willebrand's patients, the type of bleeding they have, easy bruising, very common, heavy menstrual bleeding. Like okay. there's some insane statistic that 95% of women with low von Willebrand's uh, have heavy menstrual bleeding. It's, however, however, 70% of them will tell you that their periods are normal. Normal, so right. Not even people with heavy menstrual bleeding realize that it's heavy because their sister has it like that. Their mom has it like that. Their grandma has it like that. Yep. It's what it's been their whole life. And I, I hear that time and time and again when I'm talking to women about about their menstrual bleeding is that there's not this realization that that's actually quite abnormal. Mm. And what might those abnormal <laughs> stats look like that some might think are normal? You know, mm-hmm. we talk about it before, but over seven days, over six tablespoons, what sort of things might be a signifier? And, and I get it that I haven't had a period about 15 years, except, you know, right before I had my children. But who, I mean, who even knows how, how many milliliters of blood that they have? Are, like, who who can even keep track of that? Um, just so talking we about use that. these We use these tools called bleeding assessment tools. But really, when I'm talking to people, um, just asking them some very straightforward questions. I don't like the question, are your periods heavy? Because they're all going to say no. Um, or may, many might say yes, but that doesn't really help me. Um, 
so exactly what you said do you bleed longer than seven to eight days um and when you are having your heaviest days like tell me about the heaviest days of your cycle and how often are you needing to change your menstrual product are you um and, and they might say, oh, I like to change it in between every single class. And I, I then say to them, because some mm. people just don't like a little bit of blood on the pad or a little bit of blood on the tampon. They want to change sure. it. So I say, tell me, if you didn't change it, how many hours would go by before you would be like, oh, no, this has hit my underwear? And people shouldn't, they should be able to go four hours. They shouldn't be needing to change a product every two hours for without fear of it, of it hitting their underwear. Um, another thing I ask is, do you ever double up on products? Do you wear mm. like a pad and a tampon? Do you have to wake up in the middle of the night to change your menstrual product? All of that is stuff that shouldn't shouldn't really be occurring. Um, do you pass? Like it's normal to pass a little bit of clot, but are you repeatedly passing large clots? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, and this is just like my soapbox here, is um, do you, yeah, yeah. do you have evidence of iron deficiency or iron deficiency anemia? Because Women who menstruate, that you really should not have iron deficiency. That could be that you're menstruating too much and then you need to be on iron replacement. Or we need to talk about ways in which to have you not menstruate so much. Um, and iron deficiency is so under-recognized, so under-recognized mm. in this country and, and honestly globally and is a huge problem for women who menstruate. How how That's would we recognize box. iron deficiency? Yeah. Stay on it. Stay yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, Wait, yeah. No, how yeah, don't get down. Iron deficiency. Yeah. <laughs> so I think... So when I, I see um, women, uh, I see adolescents with heavy periods is a really common consult that I see. I get a simple, complete blood count or CBC on everyone and just look to see what's their hemoglobin. And hemoglobin is how we measure anemia. So people, a lot of people will tell you, oh yeah, I'm anemic. I should be taking iron. Like so many people say mm-hmm. this. And it is because they're having blood loss for women, usually from their periods. Um, the, and so I'll, I'll look at their hemoglobin level. I'll also look at something called a ferritin, which is a measure of their iron stores. Um, I think 30 and above is normal. The computer will tell you like 15 and above, and I take issue with uh-huh. that. Um, and so <laughs> I think 30 or above is normal. Um, and then there's a couple like other iron markers that you can, iron levels that you can look at. But, um, I think those two tests, your hemoglobin level and your ferritin tell me so much in teenage girls. And then I can... I, I say to them, because again, menstruation is a choice. Like at every single teenage girl that I meet, I say the same thing to them. And I say, um, do you know that you don't actually have to have a period? Are you, I make a little joke. Are you trying to have a baby right now? No. Well, then you don't need to menstruate. The only people who actually need to menstruate are those who are trying to have a baby. And so let's talk about, you have to go every single, in between every single class, you're changing a pad or tampon. You're missing school maybe because your cramps are so bad. Oh, let's draw some labs. Oh, look at this. Not only are you iron deficient, but you're also anemic. And let's talk about the repercussions of iron deficiency in anemia because so many times we think about iron as important for making blood and it's not. Your your bone marrow is a sponge. When you put, if you are iron deficient and you put iron in your body, that bone marrow will grab it and grab it in order to make red blood cells. It is a sponge. It's an iron hog. But the other place that really needs iron is your brain. And when you don't have enough iron, the studies show that you have problems with memory loss. You have problems with standardized tests, the MAPs and the MEEPs and the SATs and the ACTs, all of that, that all the teenagers are trying to take. Um, you have problems just turning in your homework and and being successful in school. It has 
um, poor athletic performance for the athletes. So, and and it can cause IQ changes over time. For mm-hmm. women who chronically run iron deficient, they are definitely experiencing IQ loss. And so having a heavy period and not taking appropriate iron um, supplementation or iron treatment when you need it can be really impactful for these women. And it's incredibly under-recognized. That's my soapbox. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I get passionate. I get passionate. <laughs> you shape that. And what, yeah, what, why, why? Why? No, passion's oh. great. Does it come from a certain place for you, personal experience or? Uh, I, I don't think I've ever been personally iron deficient or anemic. I, I, I feel that in general, women don't talk about their periods enough. And there is this sense of like, suck it up and deal with it. Or like, this is the way it was for everyone in my family. I'll just deal with it. I, uh-huh. I, and I, and, and providers don't ask about it. They don't ask these questions. They don't dive into what is too heavy of a period or what isn't. I think I, I have a lot of respect for primary care physicians. They're trying to see patients, though, every 15 minutes. Like, right. if, if a mom or a teenage girl isn't raising their hand and saying, I don't like this, something's wrong, I don't think the questions necessarily get asked. And, and I don't blame them. They've got other stuff they have to focus on. But it takes someone really advocating and saying that their period is too heavy. And a lot of people don't do that because right. there just isn't a conversation about menstruation that happens between patients and with patients and providers. And then when there is a conversation, we we under-recognize heavy periods. We under-recognize iron deficiency. Um, and I think that it ends up being kind of there's a there's an element of sexism at play with that it's a it's a i listened to a talk recently and i literally like wrote this down because i loved this phrase that it there is a structural sexism that happens surrounding um menstruation and iron deficiency iron deficiency affects women more predominantly causes dramatic um dramatic issues things people have to live with for the rest of their lives it's not treated it's not recognized and then not treated and it's kind of like i mean how many of your friends say oh yeah i'm a little anemic i should be on iron like everyone yes this is a all chronic the time. disease it's mm-hmm. a big deal if people yeah. were like oh i'm a little diabetic i should be on my insulin <laughs> would take that Problem. More seriously right you know so it's it's just amazing to me how many times i get talking to seeing a girl in consult and then i get talking to the mom about no you really should be on your iron and if you hate taking iron Maybe you need to think about not having such heavy periods and ways that you can get around that you can mitigate that. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot. Under-recognized. Under-recognized and the sexism and also this weird self-inflicted, self-neglect, it's really fine that things aren't fine thing that might be a result of, you know, years of patriarchal propaganda. But here we are. (laughs) So now- You read my mind. I like that term. (laughs) I like that term. (laughs) I was like, huh, where'd that come from? So now we have unrecognized real like problems that also have real solutions, but we're missing this link of getting the solution. Yeah. We're missing the link of getting diagnosis quite often. And right. so some of that is the sexism and some of it is the lack of research. Why Von Willebrand's factor deficiency is so hard to diagnose. Even why it's hard to diagnose seems to be a mystery. Or could you help shine some oh, light my gosh. on why it's so hard? It is really hard to diagnose. And um Many of my hematology colleagues, like we will willing, like we'll say, we'll groan about it. Like, oh, what would you, would you call this one? Would you not? And I think 
there's cases where it's very clear cut. So there's a couple different things that people will order when they're looking up a patient for von Willebrand's. They'll order a von Willebrand's antigen, which is just like the protein level. They'll order a factor eight activity because the people who are very low von Willebrand's, they're going to have low factor eight as well because those two kind of travel around together. And then they're going to measure something called a von Willebrand's activity. And there's a couple different ways that that's measured. The historic test was called the Ristocetin cofactor, which it's kind of a mouthful. Um, I don't like it as well as a newer test called a GP1BM activity, which is also a mouthful. But so regardless. Sounds more Star Trekian yeah. or something. Very <laughs> Star Trekian. Regardless, they can, it really takes kind of ordering these three different things. In addition to, if you really suspect von Willebrand's, then you're diving a little deeper and looking at the structure of the protein. But I think from a basic standpoint, a basic screening would be to order like these, these three different tests. When people have low von Willebrand's, um, and it's probably a, a normal is like 50 and above. When people are less than 30, it is really easy because that that is, is clear cut. A lot of people fall into this range of 30 to 50. And people will say, is that really true von Willebrand's? I love, like there's this new term out, but kind of, this is just someone who has low von Will someone who has low von Willebrand's levels. And so we should be aware of that. And the next question is the next most important question is, do they bleed? To be honest, mm. someone who comes to me and says that they had a tonsillectomy and they had horrible bleeding the next day, their ENT had to take them back and do cautery or whatever. It is more helpful to me in diagnosing a patient with von Willebrand's than the blood test. And the mm. bleeding is just such a huge component of it. So you really have to, do they bruise easily? Do they have nosebleeds? What what are their menses like? What's their menstruation like? A lot of kids haven't had bleeding challenges. They haven't had their wisdom teeth out, their tonsils right. out, you know, um, needed a surgery. So with kids, sometimes I'm seeing these levels that fall into this lower range. And I'm saying, I want to follow you. I want to see you back. I want to see what happens when you um, hit your menses. Um as you get older. And and so some of it is just having an awareness that um, it can be tricky to diagnose. And so it's really important to know how the patient bleeds. Because you can have bruising and not bleeding and all of that. Right. So it's, that's interesting. I don't, yeah. Do you have, do you have bleeding symptoms? If you run a level right. of 45 and you just screened positive on my menstruation questions, I'm going to think of you as someone who has von Willebrand's disease. Um, or someone with low von Willebrand's levels who has bleeding. I'm going to want to follow you. If someone, if a surgeon calls me and says they want to do a spine surgery on you, right. I'm going to want to know about that and be involved in that. Um, and and sometimes I also feel a little bit like some this diagnosis. It's it's an evolving thing, and th there's new guidelines out every few years, and it's that those have been very helpful. There's been some wonderful talks at our big national meetings, like the American Society of Hematology met in December of 2022. And there was three incredible physicians who got up and gave this great talk about the diagnosis of unwell runs and the under-recognition of heavy menstrual bleeding. And I just wanted to stand up and applause because it's being talked about. So I have a lot of hope going forward in this area. But um, I think that if someone, I, I think it's most just most important to know for people I would I would love to just say to people of uh, your what you experience with your periods it matters and if it mm. is if I, I wish people had more recognition of heavy menstrual bleeding and yes. and then would go out and get tested for von Willebrand's and but ultimately maybe they're they fall into this gray area no one's quite sure that they have von Willebrand's to be honest 
the treatment for heavy menstrual bleeding, whether you have von Willebrands or whether you don't, is still going to be monitoring for iron deficiency mm. anemia, mm. having discussions about how to make these periods lighter, you know, whether it's OCPs, depo shots, the Marina mm -hmm. IUD, which is, I think, is God's gift to yes. women. Yes, it is. If yes, men had periods, I'm pretty sure they'd all get IUD. I, I yeah. don't understand this barter yourself once a month with these AD periods, miss school for mm -mm. two days, anemia, chronic iron deficiency. It just blows my mind um, mm -hmm. that the teenage girls live with this. I will yeah. continue on my soapbox. <laughs> there was a study that came out about the quality of life for patients with von Willebrands. Mm -hmm. And... Women had women with von Willebrands had a lower lower quality of life um, than men, and also teenagers with von Willebrands had some of the lowest indicators of quality of life. In fact, when they looked, the study was in I think in bleeding disorders in general. Teenagers, uh, teenage girls with von Willebrands, their quality of life was similar to men who had severe hemophilia and HIV. Oh my God! And I totally believe it. That makes so much sense. So do I. Like, you sit there yeah. and talk to them and ask them about their periods. Yeah. And it is, they just, if they're willing to talk to you, if they trust you and are willing to talk about it, many are just telling these stories of what day in and day out life is like. And my heart is just going out to them. And mm -hmm. and their moms are sitting there going, that's how it was like for me until I finally yeah. like had a hysterectomy when I was done having kids. Yeah. It's just so underrecognized. It's the acceptance of it is an issue. The acceptance of it as normal. You yes. want to normalize the conversation, not normalize the acceptance of yeah. mm -hmm. neuralgia and heavy periods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so once you are diagnosed, knowing that you're up against the unknowns, how can right. a patient best talk to their provider team, to other providers? How can they best advocate for themselves? Yep. Is it about just becoming more medically literate? If someone gets diagnosed with von Willebrand's disease, if they're a pediatric patient, they're seeing a pediatric hematologist is my hope. I know a little less in the adult world. I would hope they're also seeing an adult hematologist. And Sarah can probably mm -hmm. talk a lot about experiences with adult mm. hematologists. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's 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 variable. And I think seeing a hematologist who kind of specializes in coagulation disorders, in bleeding disorders, can be really helpful too. If you're seeing a hematologist who's got a lot of oncology patients they're trying to manage their heart might be in it but they just might not um it maybe be as up to date on on the literature and what the best management is um so i think seeing the hematologist is important and if people don't know if they've gotten diagnosed and they don't know who they should see i think reaching out to your local hemophilia treatment center because my, my team yeah. at my hemophilia treatment center would tell you to go see and I'm sure right. most hemophilia treatment centers would do that. Um, yes. Then in Michigan, we have the Hemophilia Foundation of Michigan, which is generally helpful for everyone with bleeding disorders. I will say, mm -hmm. um, I think hemophilia gets uh, it gets more funding than von Willebrand's does. It gets more recognition yes. than von Willebrand's does. Von Willebrand's affects more people and causes probably the number one chronic disease globally, which is iron deficiency anemia. But, you know, hemophilia... Right. Gets is it's gets more of the funds and the recognition. Mm -hmm. But the hemophilia foundations out there are also uh, um, able to assist patients with von Willebrands. Maybe they need a name change. Mm. So and I, I think 
when I talk to people who have Von Willebrands, I say, there's there's not a pill I'm going to give you every day to just make your Von Willebrands levels higher. We need to recognize you have an easy bleeding tendency. So let's talk about bleeding symptoms you're having right now. Is it easy? Is it frequent nosebleeds? Is it heavy menses? It always, it always is. Let's talk about your heavy menses. Let's get you tied in with OBGYN. And I'm very specific. I, there's amazing OBGYNs out there, but these are teenage girls we're talking about. Most of them haven't had sexual intercourse. Hopefully, definitely haven't had babies, so they haven't had dilation of the cervix. Because one thing that's really helpful for heavy menstrual bleeding in teenagers is IUDs, intrauterine devices. And it is, if teenage girls are just terrified of them. When you start mentioning it has to get inserted into the uterus. So it's been very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. When I came into this about 10 years ago, I partnered with an OBGYN in my town. And I basically said, I need someone who I can refer teenage girls to who will get really good at placing IUDs in teenage girls. Because there are amazing OBGYNs out there who I love dearly. They just don't see hundreds of teenage girls for right. IUD placement. So they're, it, it's, it's a skill. Like any procedure, it's a skill. And so... Um, I have someone I work with and she has, um, she offers like a Valium or an Ativan at the time of IUD placement, which I'll argue isn't just for teenage girls who haven't, who maybe haven't had sex or haven't had babies. I think anyone who's nervous about an IUD placement could benefit from a Valium or an Ativan. And um, if you're in the Grand Rapids area, I know the OBGYN will help (laughs) you with that. Otherwise, call your HTC. And for some girls... Um, we, they need it placed under sedation and, and she makes that happen. So, um, so finding the people that you're going to work with, so I, so I can send my patients to the person who has the most experience in women and girls with bleeding disorders. And a lot of times I send my patient and then the mom goes and the aunt goes and the 25 year old cousin, I don't see goes, Mm -hmm. um, my OB colleague has said, she's like, I have quite, uh, the practice of, um, women and girls with bleeding disorders right now. And she never went into this thinking she would. She just kind of was willing to see teenagers is how it started. Um, So asking those, I think contacting your HTC, your local hemophilia treatment center, even if they don't follow you as a patient and saying, who would you recommend for OBGYN care? I have have a Von Willebrand's diagnosis. I have heavy menses. I want to talk to an OBGYN and, and getting those referrals and names from them. There's a story that I like to tell probably about three times a week to <laughs> the teenagers who I'm meeting and I'm talking about marina intrauterine devices and all it can do and what. And I will just go into a little bit of the mechanics there. The marina has a, a low amount of the hormone progesterone in it. It gets inserted into the uterus and then it secretes the progesterone and thins the uterine lining. It does not affect the hormones in the body. So every month, your own hormones... <laughs> Say to your uterus, you know, build up a thick lining, get ready for the embryo to arrive. And your uterus might think it's doing it, but the IUD is there. And so it keeps it from building that lining up. And then your hormones then say, all right, go ahead. No embryo arrived. Shed the lining. And the uterus might think it's shedding the lining, which is why some people still have cramps with their IUDs. Uh And it goes to shed the lining, but there's just is no lining there. So in the vast majority of women who get IUDs placed, periods go down to maybe a few days of spotting once a month or in my case disappear completely Mm -hmm. um and so the when i talk to women and girls with bleeding disorders i tell them how this iud works and then i say it's good for five years i think actually now indications are pushing to six or seven i i still only say five i let the OBGYNs be the experts on the iud's um 
And and it's good for birth control during that time, not prevention of sexually transmitted infections. You still need to use condoms. I say that too. Um, but please, like, you know, when you go talk to OBGYNs, no, because I had a case of someone who had <laughs> heavy periods because she has an easy bleeding tendency. And I talked I talked up the IUD like it was the best thing ever. And she went uh-huh. to her OBGYN and got the IUD and then later said, WTF, my periods are horrendous. Why did you recommend this? I mean, I got really excited when they offered 10 years of birth control. And I'm like, oh, you got the wrong IUD. So there is a wrong IUD. And I tell this story <laughs> three times a week. And wow. I keep that person nameless who this happened to. But we don't have is to. Is this the copper story? <laughs> is this, this is the, the famous dun-dun-dun? Dun-dun-dun! Yeah, yeah, yeah. story? Well, let me add a little little judge to this story. So this conversation happened on a girls' weekend where we're just hanging out and having conversations about things that close friends do, you know, bleeding, relationships, and conversation was like, why are you even having a period? Blah, blah, blah. Here comes the hype from... From Foley, it's so great. And then I almost die because, no, not really, but it was what the hell is happening. And then, then it was removed and that's fun, you know, too. And then got the marina. And then I was like, okay, I can be on this, I can be on this, this team of IUD. And now I, 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 I tell all of my clients myself that story about how horrendous the non-hormonal IUD can be. But yeah, we talk about it all the time. So interesting that we both talk to our, our, your patients and my clients about my lovely bleeding experiences. I think one thing that is so disappointing to me as a provider in this story is like, you know, clearly you didn't walk into a drugstore and grab an IUD off the shelf. Like, no, (laughs) you have to talk to a healthcare provider about that who should have seen that you yep. have a bleeding disorder, an easy bleeding tendency, and said, ooh, I know 10 years of birth control sounds awesome, but this one isn't a good choice for you. Right. Um, and I have my theories. I think I think sometimes even the most well-meaning providers, if you just don't see as like a lot of patients with it, they can kind of maybe forget that or have that not at their forefront. I also think that there is the failure to recognize bleeding in hemophilia carriers. And that is a different podcast topic. That is. It sure is. It's a different soapbox. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, well, and yeah, it's just how to advocate for it. Like, and that's, I think that was part of learning how to advocate for myself was that whole experience. So hate that it happens, but... I know, I know, but it's okay now. Well, we're here, we're here, yeah. can, but before we, be, it's okay now, but so we yeah. know that happy ending. So can we for a moment go into the copper story of what was so extreme? Like what was the wrong, when copper's in there, what happened? So Ooh, yeah. people Great know never to do it again. This is the tale. Like, never again. Was... Right. Mm. There's no hormones, right, Jess? Like there's nothing that's going to stop that buildup. Can I be honest? Like, so I'm not an, I'm not an OBGYN. I have a right. love of the Marina IUD. I have a hatred of the copper IUD because it makes periods heavier. I don't exactly know why. And I should. Okay. I should. I will make a note and look it up afterwards because I don't place IUDs myself. Um, you would not want me to place your IUD. <laughs> no, 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 we wouldn't. I'm a big fan. I just <laughs> hype them up. Um, but it does. It makes it the way it works. The way it disrupts that uterine lining is not by thinning it. Like, like I described with the marina, 
Um, and so it's great for birth control, but it, some people I don't think have had periods change, like get heavier, but I think if you have a bleeding disorder, um, mm -hmm. and there's this risk of that periods could be heavier, that definitely could happen to you. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I do a, a big warning against it. And, and this is another reason why, and again, I, I don't, I don't think it was ill intent. I think someone just wasn't very educated and we all have lots of things that we're trying to deal with in medicine and everyone's not as well informed about certain things as other things, but it's so, I, re I really say to my families, if you're wild, if you want, I will refer you to my person because <laughs> yes, I just know yes. that that's not going to happen to them. Right. Well, I think too, with that, just re kind of remembering that experience, that practice now knows all about women with bleeding disorders, because not only did I continue to go there, did my sister, who is a carrier, and then there was also, and I don't, obviously HIPAA, don't know, but there was another woman that had a bleeding disorder that was also at that practice. So, and we all delivered babies through that practice. So they're very well aware now. So thank goodness. That was, again, good, terrible thing to go through, but hopefully we're helping other people. So Hopefully helping other people. Mm -hmm. How long did you have it in, Sarah? Oh God, not long. Maybe a couple months. I was like, "What is happening?" I I'd have to look through my chart. That's a great question. I maybe three, maybe three months. Because I was like, "I'll give it a couple." You know, like it'll adjust. No. And then we had a conversation. I was like, "What is happening to me?" And, and you like, were like, "This is a horrible idea. I can't believe you recommended this to me." And yes. I'm like, "Oh my God, I feel yeah. horrible." <laughs> And then you were yes. talking and venting about it and how yes. your periods were so much heavier and they were already heavy and how yep. could this happen? And I mean, 10 years of birth control sounds great. And I had this moment of being like, oh, oh you've got the right. I remember. Yep. Yep. But I don't remember how long I kept that in. I think I probably like immediately made an appointment after that phone call. Be like, get this out of me. I mean, so. I'm impressed you didn't just take it out yourself. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Just get up in there, pull those strings. We talked to, can we talk about the anatomy for a moment? Like the reason it's so delicate, right, is the cervix, I had explained to me once, is like trying to imagine this thin, thin, paper thin, like um, the, the, the mass of it is paper thin and it makes a tiny, tiny little circle. And mm -hmm. you have to go in like through that. So the, the way I, know I everything describe stretch it, it, yeah. I usually like to pull out, I now have a diagram, like, a, or a, a handout that has an illustration on it, because I always, like, tell my patients, like, I'm a doctor, not an artist. And then I proceed to draw for them a vagina. <laughs> and at the top of your vagina, I say, is your cervix. And it looks a little mm -hmm. bit like if you made a fist, see this close, if you make a fist and look at your fist head on, um, there's a closed opening to your cervix. And so... When you go to an OB, like it, I always make the difference between an IUD, like so a tampon, are you, I always say to my patients to use pads or tampons. Are you familiar with tampons? Most of them are familiar with you. Tampon sits right in the vagina. The string hangs outside of the vagina. If you stood in front of a mirror, you'd see the string. With an IUD, the OBGYN, or I should also say family medicine physicians place them as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, dilates the cervix ever so slightly. And I, I draw what an IUD looks like, or I have my little picture um, it inserts it in there and then into your uterus because beyond your cervix is your uterus. And then the strings of the IUD hang just outside the cervix instead of hanging outside of your vagina. So I tell patients, you're not going to see these strings. If you wanted to, you could take like two fingers and reach up into the top of your vagina and probably feel those strings. Not a lot of teenage girls feel inclined to do that, but you could. Mm -hmm. 
And I even know some adult women who, when they decided they wanted to get pregnant, reached up and pulled their own IUD out. I did not do that with mine. That's a little bit more badass than I consider myself to be. Um, <laughs> but you could. Right. Um, Ouch. Yeah. And it is at the time to get it removed the, uh, for most women, I, I will say, you know, there's always stuff that happens. But for most women, they go to the OBGYN, the OBGYN gently pulls on those strings, the IUD comes out. And again, because it's your body's own hormones, that uterine lining starts building up and you could be pregnant, gosh, within within days. Yes. Um, I will just, I'll just close on this podcast. I think it took me 10 days to get pregnant after my first IUD was removed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which means sperm reached when ovulation was happening and all that yes. timing was also yes. occurring. All of that timing. Certain yeah. days. I, did, I didn't know that, but that's how I wanted to <laughs> Right, because you weren't yeah. feeling the ovulation. Well, and let's also say, and I think I've shared it on the podcast before, and if I haven't, but my strings on one of my IUDs did wrap around the the IUD itself, and I had to have it removed in a different fashion where there was more dilation required and – Ooh. Yeah, and I hope you got some Valium or Ativan with that. Don't think so. Cupcakes. I was gonna say, weren't you did, weren't you not able to at one point? Wasn't that an issue? Oh yeah. So yeah. then we also talked. So I have a new a newish. I got it this summer. I think we talked about it before. No meds were offered. I asked, and she said no for placement at all, and it was terrible. Because pain is so constantly dismissed, right? Pain is- or not validated pain is so dismissed Uh uh-huh 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 but that was a different provider than the one I was speaking about before who understands my bleeding disorder so we will not I will not be going back to her I will be going to someone else I'll be driving an hour away to go see another physician that I come see my person yeah I'll just we'll make a weekend of it it'll be great (laughs) you should have her on the podcast sometime I'm gonna tell her about this podcast oh we would love that she would yeah she would be so good we would love that. So other things that I really like to tell all my teenage girls when I see them, um, teenage girls and young adults, is that if you're having um, a period, you should be taking a multivitamin with iron. Every woman or girl who menstruates or biological female who menstruates should be on a multivitamin with iron if they're having a period. Um, and a lot of people want to take the gummy multivitamins. Mm. I would too. I love gummies. A lot of gummy companies took the iron out. So you're going to have to put the label over and make sure that it actually says it contains iron. Honestly, a great women's multivitamin usually almost always contains iron. And I would love it if we were all on them and I should take mine <gasps> too. Um, <laughs> that's something I always tell teenage girls who menstruate. Um, and a lot of people, you know, as we talk about um, oh, it, the other thing I like to tell teenage girls, too, is when it comes to blood donation. So a lot of people mm-hmm. find out they're anemic. When you go donate blood and they flick, prick your finger and then tell you you can't donate blood, that's because you're anemic. And you're probably anemic because you're menstruating and you've, you're low in iron, therefore depriving your body of making red blood cells and depriving your brain. That should be a trigger to go talk to your primary doctor about that and get labs drawn and figure mm-hmm. that out. But Instead, we have these blood drives that come to high schools, and who stands up to donate blood? Is girls, it? Right. It's these altruistic women. It's these altruistic girls who mm-hmm. are menstruating. And I wish I would love to say to blood drives, please, if women are menstruating, please don't don't, don't ask. Have them donate blood. Mm-hmm. Men, when they're post-pubertal men, so men who've gone through puberty, run a hemoglobin usually in the range of fourteen or higher. 
women are uh, 12 to 13. So take the men. Go take mm. the blood from the men. <laughs> it's yes. like a blood donation soapbox. Um, and then the, the final thing, I have a lot of girls that I meet, and even though their periods are really heavy, they don't, they don't maybe, maybe their moms don't want them on hormones. Maybe they don't like either the idea of birth control pills or IUD or anything. And it, it's a choice. It's a choice if you would like to do something to make your periods better. And I want to empower you to make that choice. But it's also fine to kind of live with your heavy period if you'd like to. But then you need to be on iron supplementation and under the care of your doctor to make sure that you don't develop iron deficiency or it's the next step of iron deficiency anemia. So Mm. I like to tell everyone I'm not going to make you do anything. It is a choice, but you do need to treat your iron deficiency if you're going to choose to not address it. Blood donations. Those oh, no, my, I want those, more of a blood donation boxes. in vampires. Please take the male-bodied people first. Yes, take them. <laughs> <laughs> take the boys. Take the boys. Yes. I mean, don't turn them. Take them. I don't know about that much about vampires. But what, what else? What other soapboxes do you like, Jess? Because <laughs> I'd like to provide you another stage if possible. Like, your passion is invigorating. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. I, I think that I, I love... Um, I mean, I also do oncology. I have a big passion for leukemia. I realize that this is not the best form. But uh, women and women and girls um, with uh, heavy menses, women and girls with bleeding disorders, hemophilia carriers who have been told for mm. decades mm. that, oh, you just carry the gene to potentially have a son with severe hemophilia, but you won't actually have bleeding yourself. That's a big passion of mine. Like, getting rid of that misconception i have med students who come to my hemophilia clinic and hemophilia it's x-linked so my severe hemophilia clinic are males and a med student once said to me you talk a lot about iud's for a clinic that's all boys and i'm like yeah because i'm talking to the moms hmm. um i ask every single mom you know are you know first are they in, do they know if they're a carrier we figure that out for them sometimes it's a spontaneous mutation in their son they may right. not be a carrier if they are a carrier then I ask them about their bleeding sy- symptoms, specifically about their periods. And I, every one of my hemophilia clinics, I talk about IUDs, and I think I do. And I talk about the copper IUD and how much I hate it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so I, I just think we, you know, we ask the questions. If you, gosh, is it, this is just so true about everything in life. Like when you ask people, when you take a second and ask people the questions and ask them to talk about themselves, it, that they'll talk and they'll right. tell you these stories and they'll tell you their experience and their stories and um it, and I think um that can be therapeutic but I think you know I'm also helping them get resources and and find care yeah if a mom is hooked up with you and she's getting that information from you and she's getting a referral and that's great but what about the random woman who's maybe thinking she has she got this information probably from maybe me where I'm sending because <laughs> we're talking about her period because she's coming to see me too because we're talking about sex but the period's really bad but I'm going to say go first we got to start you know with your your primary care what should they be saying and asking for yeah I think that saying gosh I have really heavy periods and I would like to be tested for an easy bleeding tendency and primary care doctors can do a basic screening I have pediatricians who call us every day saying I have this 13 year old with heavy periods what should I screen them for and we're really happy to tell you and oh oh I'm so glad you just said this to me because I just have like an afterthought too that I want to add um which is they get screened for vulnerable they have heavy periods so they have iron deficiency anemia like I just told you 
Von Willebrand's, the, the Von Willebrand protein, and one of the other reasons it's tricky to diagnose is it increases when you're stressed out. Right. So if you hate say. if you hate getting your blood drawn, if the phlebotomist has to poke you two or three times, I will say to parents, like when you get these levels drawn, if they don't get it on the first poke, Ow. don't do the second poke because the, the kid's going to get so stressed out that they in, your body increases the levels at times of stress and then they look normal and they're really not. The other situation where you're stressed out is if you have iron deficiency anemia. So your body is stressed and it's increased your von Willebrand's levels. So lots of women with iron deficiency anemia go get tested oh, for bleeding disorders and someone will send a von Willebrand's panel that comes back normal. Mm. Um, and you really need to fix their anemia first before you can test for von Willebrand's. And I mean... I, I say that mm. all this <laughs> um so I, I think just knowing and advocating for yourself that you yeah. want to get tested um keeping asking the questions finding someone that's listening to you and not dismissing your periods right. yeah. and if you don't know who you should go to if you're like gosh I just feel like the person I saw didn't quite know about um testing for bleeding disorders call a hemophilia treatment center yeah and they'll tell you who to go see HTCs. So yes, the HTCs. The HTCs. <laughs> You're opening all my soapboxes. I think. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I said them. Sure. All. Okay. Yes. I'm please, sure there'll be one later. Please come back sure. to go with us later. more. Maybe we should do one specifically on puberty, mm-hmm. both personal and professional experience as a pediatrician, to talk about that arrow when folks patients move yeah. on, like when they age. Does VWD change with age? What happens next? But also, what happens during puberty? Right. Emotionally for so many girls and menstruators. We could get into that next time. Oh, yeah. I would love to hear that podcast. (laughs) I I need to learn about that. No, no. I've seen Turning Red. That's my (laughs) perfect main understanding. Um, Thank goodness for Pixar. Oh, and wait. I love it. My period. Just kidding. Um, But it's very close. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep that in there. (laughs) I do appreciate flowing hormonally with you both. This has been great. I thank you both for doing this and for getting this information out there to people. Thanks for coming on with us. It's so fun to have you on. That's it for now, but we'll be back to talk period pain and other extreme menstruation. Oh, and won't you follow our new TikTok at How's Your Flow? And if you're still listening, would it be in flow for you to go ahead and leave us a review just wherever you get your podcasts? Just put some stars there. Thanks so much. We appreciate you. Flow is produced by Bloodstream Media and edited by Kay Vermeil. Shout out to Flow's creative director, Amy Board, and hosts Jessica Richmond and Sarah Watson. New episodes are available the second Thursday of each month. Hey, that's the day after I start menstruating. <laughs>